Tickets. Tickets, please. Tickets. Right this way, friends. Welcome to the show. Tonight, we present four fun-sized tales to trick-or-treat by. In the first tent, we have a bit of cosmic horror as we present There Was Something Wicked About the Fog of 87. During the fall of 1987, a strange fog rolled into my small Midwestern town, population 10,000. At the time, I lived in a small town where everybody practically knew each other, which was one of the reasons why I loved it there. Anyway, it was my junior year of high school, and Halloween was just one week away, which I was excited about because Halloween was my favorite holiday. Every yard in the neighborhood was littered with those cheesy Halloween decorations you'd find at your local discount store. Anyway, where was I? Oh, it was Friday night when the fog first rolled into my town. I was doing my homework when all of a sudden I heard Miss Jones from down the street let out a blood-curdling scream. I quickly jumped out of my chair and peered out the window. That's when I noticed. My whole street was now enveloped in this thick blanket of fog, like in the movie The Mist. There was something different about the way this fog moved, almost snake-like. Anyway, I stepped onto my porch and noticed the whole neighborhood was now outside, too. I could hear whispers of awe as everybody began watching the fog. Soon, more blood-curdling screams could be heard as something inside the fog began snatching up my neighbors. One by one, I could hear their screams. The rest of us ran inside our homes where we would all remain until Monday morning. After I was safely back inside my house, I locked all of the doors, then hid inside a closet. My parents were gone for the week, so I was all alone, and you can imagine just how scared I was. When I finally emerged from the closet, it was already two in the morning, and I was exhausted. Needless to say, I didn't get any sleep for the rest of the day. When Sunday morning arrived, I was finally able to get some sleep despite the strange fog still lingering outside. At around 11 at night though, I awoke to a strange sound I could not explain. Still half asleep, I slowly got out of bed and noticed the fog had somehow made its way inside my house. I screamed, but was immediately silenced as a tendril from within the fog shot out, wrapping itself around my neck and causing a cold searing pain like no other. Although I struggled to breathe, I somehow managed to free myself. I tried calling my parents, but my phone was dead 
I grabbed my car keys and tried to make my way toward the door, but instead was slammed hard against the wall. I cried out in pain as the fog moved quickly toward me. I was trapped. Before I could react, the sirens located around my town began going off, causing the fog to retreat. When Monday arrived, my street looked like a total bloodbath with bodies scattered everywhere, easily mistaking them for Halloween decorations. In total, a hundred people were killed during that fateful weekend. Nobody could ever explain why the strange fog rolled into town that year, but they did have their theories, even going as far as blaming the local power plant. Now, I have my own theories, and maybe, just maybe, it was radiation from the power plant. Anyway, people began moving out until eventually only 60 people remained, including my parents. Over the years, you'd hear about the occasional urban explorer or a homeless person going missing after visiting the nearly abandoned town. After I graduated from high school, I moved far away and had not been back for 33 years. But today, I received the news that the fog has returned. Now, I am finally going home. Friends, please do try to avoid the fog as you exit our first tent. Right this way. In our second tent of the night, we examine a mysterious trick-or-treater in Trick-or-Treat, Don't Look Under the Sheet. The same boy has been coming to my house every Halloween for four years. He wears the same ridiculous costume every year. A ratty, blank, off-white tablecloth that hangs much too low on his body, scraping the dirt with poorly scribbled, hollow black circles for eyes. The appearance isn't quite memorable by itself only in the quality and character of the way it moved. I saw him, every year, come across the lawn just as the sun set behind the hill, bathing our house in an ominous violet shadow, moving toward me, but never seeming to demonstrate any actual steps forward. It was a bizarre, inhuman sensation, one that I never quite grew accustomed to, moving but unmoving, crossing ground like he was being pulled along by a string. There was something else, too. Something I noticed on our first meeting four years ago, 
when I held out our plastic Rite Aid jack-o'-lantern bucket and watched as the sheet came forward where a hand should have been, removed a portion of the treats, and buried them under that drab cloth. He smelled. It was a unique stench, wet mud and spoiled milk, raw meat left on a counter, putrid, nauseating, indescribable mostly, except that I never forgot it. It was there, always there, when that boy visited each Halloween. It lingered too, for hours, even after he left, like it poisoned the very air around him. It was always the same, every time, every Halloween, except for last year. I haven't been able to tell anyone, not until today, not even my wife. She doesn't care much about Halloween. She doesn't like to see the kids anymore. Not since our son died. She stays downstairs until it's over. I don't think she knows about any of it. Last year, curiosity got the better of me. I did something I shouldn't have. I was ready for the boy that day. I waited. I watched. I knew when he would arrive, the perilous, rolling black dusk where the world seemed to stop and anything was possible. He came just as he always did, just as a dead chill came down from the hill and shrieked against our house. He crossed the yard, motionless, as he always was, his tattered cloth unmoving. I opened the front door and smiled, happy to see my silent friend, wildly anxious to finally discover what could have possibly been beneath that strange fabric all of these years. I thrust the bucket in front of me like some sort of offering. When it moved, I moved faster. I grabbed the sheet right at the crown of the head and pulled down, wrenching it free in a violent swirl. She didn't move. She didn't try to hide. It was my wife, wearing my dead son's clothes, wearing my dead son's skin. Her face was blank except the worms, dozens of them, pale, greedily snaking through his horribly decayed cheeks and forehead. She didn't seem to recognize me or didn't seem to care. I stood, paralyzed, watching as she took the candy, replaced the sheet, and left. I haven't told my wife about any of it, and I hope she doesn't read this. I don't think she knows.
Very, very sad indeed, friends. We hope the poor woman can find a better way to live with her son's memory. Please continue to tent number three. If you know anyone who favors Christmas heavily over Halloween, you may want to introduce them to our next tale, titled, Wait Until After Halloween. I've been a resident of my neighborhood for over two years now. While I've managed to become accustomed to it, I had a particularly rocky start with it. In particular, the unofficial rule in this neighborhood to never have Christmas decorations up before Halloween was over. I did just that. People warned me about it, saying that if I didn't take them down, I'd be sorry. I replied to them that if me doing so didn't result in a fine, I'd do whatever I want with my own property. I should have listened to them. It was the 20th when it came. I had just gotten through setting up the lights. I wasn't a big Halloween fan, to say the least. I always preferred Christmas. In that regard, I had always put my decorations up in late October. Sure, I'd get some eye rolls from people passing by. However, nothing really bad would happen to me. Not until that night. I stepped back, taking a moment to admire my handiwork. That was when I heard it. Up in the night sky, I saw a silhouette barely illuminated by the moon and stars. Its appearance was some twisted combination of bat and deer. The most prominent thing about it was its fiery red eyes and its nose which also seemed to burn like a flame. I was speechless upon seeing it. Tried to rationalize it in my mind, thinking it was in fact a large bat and that my mind was playing tricks on me. It coming into full view proved me wrong. My Christmas lights illuminated it fully. It was certainly more deer-like in appearance, if deer had razor-sharp teeth. Its claws were so sharp-looking, I thought. If it wanted to, it could cut me in half with one swipe. I didn't know what to do in that situation. It was blocking the way to my house, and I doubted I could outrun it with how fast it was. I shouted for help, only to glance over and see my neighbors turn out their lights. I mentally cursed them and turned back to the creature. I had no idea at the time why it was in front of me. What I did know was that I needed to find a way to escape it. As it approached me and raised one of its hands, presumably to strike at me, I thought fast and kicked off one of my shoes at its head to distract it. 
then attempted mad dashing toward my front door. I got maybe eight feet before I felt it yank me back and throw me to the ground. I groaned in pain and tried sitting up. In addition to it sounding really pissed off at me as indicated by the fact that it was growling, my shoe was hanging from one of its antlers. It grabbed the shoe and threw it at me with such force that my nose broke. Defenseless and groggy from the pain with blood running down my shirt, all I could do was watch it. To my confusion and surprise, it yanked free one of my plastic candy canes. These feelings quickly turned into fear when I realized what it planned on doing with it. I tried to plead with it, but it was no use. All I could do was raise my arms in a feeble attempt to shield myself as it brought the candy cane down on me repeatedly. Getting hit by one being swung by a regular person is painful enough, never mind when a whatever that thing was is wielding them. The force of its swing was so strong it broke my right arm, which is my dominant one. One candy cane beating was bad. Unfortunately for me, Ned decided to make use of all the ones I owned. By the time it was done, they were all in pieces, and I was a broken mess on the ground. My vision was blurry from the pain. Although I could make out that it was flying toward my house and cutting down the attached lights. When it landed in front of me, I thought it was going to deliver the killing blow. Instead, it did something I wasn't expecting. It spoke. The only response I could give to it was a pained croak. Its voice was deep and raspy. Next year, wait until after Halloween. It then pointed from me to my Santa lawn decoration, which it decapitated with one slice of its claws. I passed out shortly after that. When I woke up the next day, the neighbors gave me smug looks as I passed by. The hospital trip was a pain. What was even worse was having to clean up the mess it left behind. Trying to find bits of broken glass and plastic while wearing a cast was not easy. I figured whatever that thing was, it was really into Halloween. Not wanting to re-incur its wrath, I made sure to get some last-minute decorations for the holiday in order to appease it. As the trick-or-treaters walked by on Halloween, I could see it watching me from the woods. Only the lights of its eyes and nose were visible. Children and parents who also noticed it walked quickly by it. They reacted to it as if it was something they were used to. I figured that this was the case, and now I am too. Every October it can be spotted watching from the woods for anyone to break the neighborhood's unofficial rule. I make sure to follow this to a T 
and even put up Halloween decorations early. As a result of my experience, I have found an appreciation for the holiday. I just make sure I never put up any Christmas decorations until November. I don't know what that thing is or where it came from. All I know is that I don't ever want to get on its bad side again. If you happen to be as big a Christmas fan as I am and move to my neighborhood, I suggest you heed my warning. Or it will come for you. I thought you might appreciate the comic relief. Although we do hope that our new fan of Halloween has recovered properly. The time has come when we must now approach our final tent of the evening. But I must offer an apology up front, as this one is the trick. Why? Because we lied to you. This is not a fun-sized tale, but a slightly longer piece about what might happen with the real ghouls when our trick-or-treaters are no longer allowed to walk among them on Halloween night. For our final tale of the evening, we present No One Told the Monsters Halloween Isn't Happening It's a full moon on a Saturday, for crying out loud. My brother, Alex, shouted over his spooky Halloween mix. His head periodically popped out of the plywood abomination covering his lawn like a human whack-a-mole. There's no way I'm gonna miss it. I sighed and zipped up my jacket. Even during the day, the early October wind was biting. Don't you think it's a bit much? I asked. No one is trick-or-treating this year. I won't be outdone. The Hendersons are into it. His hand whipped out of the maze and pointed aggressively to the yard across the street. The neighbor's intimidating display consisted of a single orange bag of leaves with a jack-o'-lantern face on the front. Every year, Alex adds new pieces to his already elaborate Halloween decorations. That creature had now evolved into his short maze, starting on the sidewalk and ostensibly ending at the front door. My sister-in-law gives out the candy, and Alex operates a new jump scare from somewhere within. I think this year, he was a giant trapdoor spider or something. He even built a chicken door halfway through, in case kids need to bail. My brother has many interesting feelings about the holiday. One of which is that candy should be earned, and that the more of it he keeps for himself, the more he has won. I love him anyway. 
I felt a tug on my hand. Can I go in yet, Dad? Lily asked. I told her to hang on until Uncle Alex gave the all clear. He was still tearing through the maze, turning props around and throwing blankets over the grislier scenes. If he wanted to use my five-year-old as a test subject, he'd have to tone it down to the before seven o'clock setting. Maybe he really thought he'd learn something from a test run, but I think he was just excited to share his passion with someone else. Lily hopped around in excitement. The cardboard disc sandwiching her threatened to fall apart with every jump. We had sat down one night and googled costume ideas, but her mind was made up from the get-go. She insisted on being a button. Whatever, it was super easy, and her costume was already done a month ahead of the date. Celebratory sounds grew louder as my brother emerged from the entrance. Okay, kiddo, are you ready? Alex asked in a loopy ghost voice. Lily nodded and bolted forward. Whoa, 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 Alex called. It's dangerous to go alone. He grinned at me as he untied a line of string. Out on the verge, a dummy that Alex had intended to be a clown was propped up in a lawn chair. He made it from his clothes stuffed with more clothes and then threw a clown wig on it. I assumed he'd refine it before the big day. Right then, it was just a lump of laundry sporting a polka dot shirt and a wig. A single foil balloon was tied to the arm of the chair. Alex handed it to Lily, giving her this whole speech about how the balloon would keep her safe and how important it was to hang on to it. I like this new touch. I think a lot of parents would get anxious sending their kids onto a stranger's property where they can't see them. The balloons keep track of where everyone is and help to assuage those fears. Though, I wonder if he considered who's supposed to give the balloons out. Alex told Lily to count to 30 and made for his hiding spot. I helped her count all the way to 30 and then she took off into the maze. I watched her balloon bob around. It would speed up abruptly or slowly round corners. I heard a growl from a low-quality speaker ring out above the ambient Halloween music, followed by a little yelp from Lily. The balloon retreated and stopped. I could picture her gathering her courage. Sure enough, the balloon started making progress again. I stood on the sidewalk smiling to myself and shuffled my feet to stay warm. I was shocked to attention when I suddenly sensed movement nearby. I took a step back as three figures shambled past me without a word. I'd been idly glancing around in boredom that entire time and hadn't seen them approach. The only car parked on the street was mine. I caught their profiles as they went. The person in the lead took great, loping steps, throwing the weight of their bulky costume ahead of them. 
Their torso was conversely thin with saggy skin. Thin hairs popped out of the top of their pale head. The middle one almost seemed to glide forward. Theirs was the least intricate costume, as they simply looked like someone hunched over in a burlap sack. I thought they must be on wheels somehow. Trailing the trio was someone who looked to be attending a masquerade. I caught a flash of black contacts in the peripheral of their mask. They paid me absolutely no mind, like I wasn't even there. Must be friends of Alex's, I settled on. If anyone knew people who get that into Halloween so early, it was my brother. I was going to make a joke about needing more balloons, but they had already rounded the first corner of the maze. Lily's balloon was more than halfway through when I heard that growl again, tripped by the strangers. They must have been moving really fast, not exactly allowing time to stop and smell the corpses. Lily's balloon hit a straightaway near the end when I heard a startled squeak from her. The cry cut off abruptly, and the balloon wavered like a fishing bobber. It went end to end of that longer corridor, as if Lily was sprinting back and forth. It came to a halt, and then just floated away. Lily had let go. I watched the balloon drift into the sky, feeling a cold sweat break out on my skin. The tense music from that stupid Halloween CD lent an air of ridiculousness to how I was feeling. Lily, I called out, trying to keep the concern from my voice. No response from anyone. Lily! I yelled into the first five feet of the maze. I heard wood scraping on wood off to my right. I ran to the edge of the maze and saw those three adult trick-or-treaters exiting through the chicken door. I expected them to say something, either to me or each other, but they quietly made for the sidewalk. Hey, I shouted. The tall, pale one with the weird body stopped and turned to look at me. Their tiny yellow eyes narrowed even further in confusion. Yeah, you, I continued. Who are you people? The tall one looked around, its too wide mouth drawn at a grimace. The other two stopped on the sidewalk and waited for their companion. My eyes couldn't even focus on the one in the rough cloak. The tall one's gaze finally fell on the clown dummy behind me. It replaced the thin hairs on its head with bright red tufts sprouting from its scalp. Multicolored splotches broke out all over their body. With a look of satisfaction, it backed away again. What the hell? I started. Noticing I was still upset with it, contentment gave to rage as its massive mouth flashed into a snarl bearing countless grimy teeth. It roared and wobbled toward me. I fell back onto the grass and scrambled for the maze. Self-preservation screamed in tandem with concern for my daughter. In a terrified frenzy, I rammed into the flimsy plywood walls. I kept shouting Lily's name until everything was leveled. The 
world and I spun as I poured over the ruined decorations. It was impossible. Lily went in, and I would have seen her come out. She had to be there. By the time I felt Alex shaking me back to my senses, the trio was gone. I collapsed when I found half of her button costume, the cardboard all mangled and torn. My mind reeling as to the origin of the tiny red flecks peppering the crumpled costume. Before the police put curtains up, some neighbors came around to take pictures and tried to congratulate Alex on outdoing himself with the crime scene. We're still being questioned on Lily's disappearance, and apparently I'm being treated with a great deal of suspicion. The investigators are at least humoring bringing those trick-or-treaters in for questioning. Alex maintains he has no idea who they were and says he never even saw them. The only theory I dare to hold is those three kidnapped Lily and concealed her as they escaped. And the transformation that thing went through. The way it seemed like a nocturnal predator caught in the light of day. That feeling I got that I shouldn't be able to look at them. I think it all comes back to our early Halloween activities. Halloween started for a reason, and I think we enjoyed the protection our numbers provided. Similarly, I think they enjoyed the camouflage. I can only imagine the calamity when none of that happens this year. Let this be a lesson to those who wish to cancel trick-or-treating. The consequence of doing so may be far beyond any benefit that you believe you may enjoy. And that wraps up our presentation for the evening, friends. Thank you so much for coming out. We hope you've enjoyed the show and look forward to seeing you again next time. Remember to monster mash the subscribe button and click the little franken chime next to it to ensure that you will be alerted by the elder YouTube gods when we present our next set of lovely tales to trick or treat by. Until next time, sweet frightmares.